The Air Corps and Navy men were busy signing men up, and for a moment I nearly joined the Navy. But then I spotted a paratrooper, standing alone next to a small table at the left of the room. He approached several men and asked them to sign up for the paratroops, but they shied away from him, crossed to the other side of the room. Walking over to him, I said, I would like to join the troops. And he looked at me in shocked disbelief, like a salesman who'd just made his first sale. The recruiter filled out a form, to which I signed my full name, Donald Robert Burgett. Then he had me sign two papers, which stated, I do hereby volunteer to jump from a plane, while in flight, and land on the ground via parachute. Then he shook both my hands, patted me on the back, and walked halfway back across the room with me, thanking me every step of the way. After a close physical, the group I was with was sworn in, given a meal, and told to report to the railroad station on May 11th for duty. My first look at the Fort Benning frying pan was like looking at heaven, so unlike the barren plains above the Rim Rock in Kansas where I'd taken my basic. Here were tall green pines, and everywhere in the distance I could see evidence of swamp and even streams and rivers. The only fly in the ointment was the sand. Hardly any grass at all. Just sand. The next day we were assigned to companies and put into barracks according to alphabetical order. This was the activating of the 541st Parachute Regiment. My barracks, the last one on the street, were close to the latrines, but this was considered an asset, for we didn't have far to travel when we had to go to the toilet or take a shower. We were allowed one day to get squared away on clothing issue, jumpsuits, boots, and special equipment. Then our training began. After weeks of the toughest training imaginable, the men were getting into pretty good condition and were bragging they could take anything the Army could throw at them. The sergeants let the air out of us by stepping up their bitching, yelling, and browbeating. One of them used to look at us while we were doing push-ups in formation and yell that we looked like a bunch of overworked prostitutes. Get the sway out of your backs, he'd holler. Our first test in height came in the mock-up door that was built atop a 40-foot tower, and although this doesn't sound high, I know of many men who would rather jump from a plane than go off the top of this short jump. A cable ran from the top of the mock-up door and downward on an angle to the ground. A trolley wheel rode on the steel cable, and attached to the wheel were two long risers that were fastened to the jumper's parachute harness. This allowed the trooper to jump from the tower and free-fall to within a few feet of the ground before being jolted to an abrupt halt and to slide down the length of the cable till his feet touched the ground. He would then release his risers from his harness and by a long rope tied to the pulley, tow the apparatus back to the tower where the sergeant at the top could grab it and fasten the next man up for his jump. We passed through A and B stages of training and entered C stage. Just before going up on the 250-foot towers, we each had a turn at putting on a parachute, lying on the ground and being blown across the field by an airplane engine prop. After we'd skidded on our bellies or backs for a ways, the instructor would order what type of recovery and chute collapse he wanted. And the trooper had to get it right, or be blown across the ground time after time until he did get it right. It wasn't unusual to see troopers with great holes worn in the knees and elbows of their fatigues. And sometimes, through these holes, you could see that patches of skin were also missing. Then troopers put on live parachutes, hooked the open canopies into large rings or hoops, and were hoisted, three at a time, to the top of one of the towers. One at a time, they were released to float to the ground, while an instructor ordered them to slip right, slip left, or to make a body turn. Night came on, 
and we found ourselves assembled at the foot of the towers, waiting our turn. A sergeant was calling names from a roster and checking them off when the jump was completed. First, they explained that there'd be a man with a flashlight on the ground a short distance from the tower. He would give a quick flash of light toward the trooper at the top of the tower, then turn it off. The trooper would then have to guide his chute toward the point where he last saw the light in order to keep the wind from blowing him into the steel girders. The night was so black that a man at the top of the tower couldn't see the ground, and swinging from the single cable, it was almost impossible to tell which direction the wind was coming from. Three men at a time were hauled aloft on different arms and left to hang there, 250 feet in the air, until the instructors were ready to release them. The big non-com yelled up through the night air, Do you see your beam, number one? No, came the disturbed answer as the jumper looked frantically for the sliver of light. Release number one, the sergeant bawled. Wait, came the voice through the darkness from atop the tower, but he was already on his way down clawing at his risers in hopes that he was guiding the chute in the right direction. Again came the question, Do you see your beam, number three? No! Release number three. This went on, with very few of the men actually ever seeing the beam. Only one man piled into the steel structure and hung there until the instructors could climb up and get him down. Boy, <laughs> you have to hubba hubba one time to home in on that beam, I said. You're not just woofing there, said Bedell. They just turn you loose and hope for the best. Maybe the sergeants want to get home early tonight. We finally finished, with two jumps each, and headed back to the barracks for a few hours' sleep. We got Sunday off, and most of us stayed in camp, playing poker or craps or taking turns at the slot machines. On Monday morning we drew our chutes, put them on, and waited in the sweat sheds for our turn to load on the planes for our first jump. Our first one was to be at 1,200 feet, the second one at 1,000, the third and fourth at 800, the fifth, a night jump, at 1,000. Once qualified as troopers, we would receive an extra $50 a month, regardless of the amount of jumps we would make per month. But we would be required to make a minimum of one jump every three months. The day seemed hotter than ever before, and sweat trickled from under my armpits and ran down my elbows while a weak feeling came into the pit of my stomach. This is what they call butterflies in the belly, I guessed. This was the first time I'd ever been in a plane in my life, and I couldn't help feeling the little nerves and muscles twitch and jump in my body as the plane rumbled across the field and into position at the end of a runway. In no time, we'd made the run over the Chattahoochee River and were now heading back across the DZ, or drop zone. The jumpmaster, wearing a free-type chute and standing in the doorway, turned to us and gave the order. Stand up and hook up. This is it, I thought, the moment we've been waiting for. Days of the infantry basic flashed across my mind, along with the thought 